Gracious God, from the beginning, in the beginning, you brought all things into being with your eloquent word. We pray that we may hear, hear that same word from the beginning of creation, that we might witness to that same spark in Christ that makes all things new. Open our ears and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this Sunday, we're continuing our sermon series on the six marks of discipleship or six spiritual practices for following Jesus. And this week is, of course, the topic of worship. And a reminder that following worship will have a little mini-seminar that goes deeper into the nuts and bolts of an actual worship service to help you go a bit deeper than simply uh, participating, but to participate with more intentionality uh, than perhaps uh, normal. So stick around after the service for a chance to go deeper. And there, as Ingrid said, there will also be a workshop for children. So children will also be able to go deeper then as well. But back to the what and the why of worship. This week I was listening to an album by Mississippi-born blues and gospel singer Leo Bud Welch. There you go. Yeah. Norman's got it. Fascinating life story. He began recording at the age of 82, was signed to a record contract, toured the world, and then died at 85. So, you know, it's a pretty great story. But this, this has neither, is neither here nor there about his life story. I just thought it was interesting. So I was listening to this one pretty, pretty rockin' blues song that's all about attending worship. I mean, that's not something you usually hear, that people are singing songs about worship. But in it, there's this great line that I love, and it made me smile so much. I don't know what you come to do, he sings. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise his name. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise his name. And at one level, I absolutely love it because it's got that tongue-in-cheek kind of swagger that you get with hip-hop. You know, normally we'd be bragging about how amazing, rich, or, you know, badass you are to a woman, but here it's applied to God. All these other phonies, you know, they come to impress each other, but I come to impress the Lord. I love it. It's just funny brilliant in that way. You may not find it as funny as me. I don't know. Judging by, uh, judging by the silence, you don't. But hey, not all of us have uh, great senses of humor. What can I say? It's funny, but I also think it illustrates how many of us inside and outside the church think of worship. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to impress the Lord or to impress other people. It's this idea that God somehow needs our worship. That God needs us to tell God how great she is, otherwise she's hurt or offended. And not only that, but God needs us to impress him with the heartfelt nature of our songs or the top-notch quality of our lives. On one hand, it makes God seem needy, seem petty, and on the other hand, it makes God seem like a taskmaster, demanding piety 
in exchange for blessing. Which it really is the road to either a sense of perpetual unworthiness on one hand, or a sense of perpetually, uh, or a sense of divine ego and self-satisfaction on the other. Either way, these reveal a misunderstanding about the meaning and purpose of worship. Worship isn't something that we do for God or even for each other. It's the other way around. It's something that God does for us. Worships for us and not God. We've got it backwards. God doesn't need our worship. We need worship. God doesn't need worship. We do. And today's scripture passage from Exodus is a great example. I mean, I'll, I've had this kind of scripture passage in my back pocket for a really long time, just aching and waiting to get it out. And finally the day when we talk about worship, because it really does illuminate the meaning of worship together. Next slide. Great. First of all, we need worship because it's an encounter with the divine. We don't come here to hear about God. We come to meet God. We come to meet the sacred, the transcendent. Go meet Moses in the wilderness, says God to Aaron, Moses' brother. Moses has been hiding out in the wilderness ever since he killed a brutal Egyptian slave driver. And they meet, it says, at the mountain of God. In the biblical view of the world, mountains are this midpoint place between heaven and earth. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls it the place of ultimate encounter. It's this place where Moses bumped into God, hearing the divine voice through a burning bush. The place where the divine world and the human world, they come, they touch together, and they intermingle. I mean, it might be one of the reasons why our local First Nations found the glacier, Quinish, to be so spiritually important and powerful. Because at the mountain, this is where the divine and uh, the human world kind of come together and connect. And the space relocates a few times in the Old Testament from the mountain to setting up in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the place where the divine presence can be met, a specific place. But in the New Testament, Jesus says that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that worship, said, said that worship won't have to happen in a mountain or in a temple but can happen anywhere in spirit and in truth. Anywhere God's people are gathered together can be this place of encounter where God's spirit is present, the truth is spoken, and the transcendent comes into view. It's what ancient Celtic people would call a thin space, where the division between the earth, heavenly and earthy is kind of like permeable. They come together. And few of us would say that worship, that God, is simply an important idea to us. So many of us have had these amazing experiences of beauty and love that seem to go way deeper than just genes, chemicals, and atoms. It's more than an idea or a concept. It's coming into contact with a living spiritual reality that's just bigger than us, 
not only bigger than us, but beyond us, beyond our full knowing, even though we can touch it. While we can feel it anywhere, worships like Aaron's visit to the mountain. It's a place where, if the conditions are right, we're able to feel in our hearts and our bones the presence of the other, the presence of God. So you could say worship's for us because we need to know that there's more to life than we can see. We need worship because the experience makes all this God talk concrete. It makes it real. Next slide. Second, worship's for us because we need to hear good news. Next, it says that Moses and Aaron, they go back to Egypt, where their people still live under the yoke of slavery. They gather the people, it says, and Aaron performs the signs and speaks all of the words that God had spoken to Moses. And what God said to Moses at chapter 4 is essentially this, turn off your cell phone (laughs) so you can hear what I have next to say. But this is what God said to Moses a chapter before. Moses said, or God said to Moses this. He said, I have seen you and your people. I have heard your cries. I have come down and I will deliver you from slavery. That's the message that Moses delivers, or Aaron Aaron delivers to the people on behalf of Moses. Aaron delivers gospel which means good news, that the transcendent, that something bigger than us, is not an impersonal force, but is personal. The transcendent sees us. And not only sees us, but is moved by human suffering, pain and oppression. And not only moved by our suffering and pain, but is with us side by side in solidarity. I will be with you, God says, to Moses on the mountain. And not only that, I will be with you, I will act to deliver you from slavery. On one hand, it's good news for those of us who are literally the world's slaves. Those of us who are beaten down by poverty, by exploitation, hunger, and abuse by the pharaohs of this world. It says that God is not neutral... God not only wants justice and equity for those under the boot of oppression, but is actually actively engaged in burning Pharaoh's kingdom to the ground and planting a new and better one. And on the other hand, it's also good news for those of us who are figuratively slaves, which is all of us in one way or another. We're slaves to power, to money, whether we've got too much or don't have enough. We're servants to uppers and downers of all kinds, literal and real. We're servants to our own egos, our drives and our desires. And we're beaten down by shame, sadness and self-loathing. In one way or another, we live in Egypt too. We're under lock and key with no easy way out. No way out in sight. So either way, 
if it's literal or it's metaphorical, worships for us because in Egypt, we need to know there's a power greater than Pharaoh. One that promises to deliver, not based on our action, our deserving, our merit, but simply because the heart of the universe loves us and wants us to be full creatures made in the image of God. God sees the chains of our suffering and promises a jailbreak, promises deliverance, promises salvation. We need to know that there's life outside the empire because that gives us hope, no matter what our present circumstances suggest. We need worship to hear good news of grace in a bad news world where the devil and Pharaoh seem to reign supreme. We need worship to hear good news. Next slide. Third, worship's for us because our lives need reorientation. We need to be put in a new direction. It says after Aaron delivers this word of grace and hope that the people believed that they heard the good news that God had taken notice of them and their misery. And then it says, they bowed down and worshipped. There's the word itself right there. And I don't know about you, but this always conjures images of people groveling for me. You know, like uh, if you saw Wayne's World where it's like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. And the word in Hebrew does mean to bow down, so that part's at least right. But bowing down means something more than showing you're a weak little worm, which you may be. But it's more than that. In the ancient world, it's a sign of allegiance, a pledge of exclusive obedience to a king. They're not only groveling, they're throwing their lot in with God over their slave master, Pharaoh. So worship, you could say, means putting on the jersey of a whole new team. It means putting our hearts to and reorienting our lives to a God who sees us, is with us in our suffering, and promises us liberation which also means shifting our loyalty away from Pharaoh. Pharaohs of greed, addiction, exploitation, Pharaohs of violence and false security, Pharaohs of self-justification, depression, suffering, and doubt. False gods who are blind to our plight, ignore our suffering, and use us for their own gain until we can't be used anymore until there's no more life to give. Those things in our lives that demand everything, promise everything, but in the end, give nothing. That's what we mean when we say things like, Jesus is Lord. It means that Pharaoh isn't. It means that Caesar isn't. It means that nothing else Nobody else in heaven or on earth is. 
God alone gives life. So worship's for us because we need reorientation. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in the words of St. Paul. We need worship because we need to be pulled away from all the false gods who enslave us with empty promises. And we need to be set back on the liberating path to freedom. We need to be reminded week after week after week after week who we belong to and who gives life. God over Pharaoh. And the fourth one, fourth side. Now finally, fourthly you could say, worship's for us because we need to be empowered to act. We need to be empowered to act. The next thing Moses and Aaron do is they go to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to the palace. They confront Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, a divine human, just two slaves, two nobodies, and they deliver a message from God. And you know, you can get out your best Charlton Heston impression at this point, and you can say, let my people go. And that's what Moses or Aaron, Moses and Aaron say. Let my people go. So they encounter this transcendence. They hear this good news. Their lives are reoriented and their perspective has changed. And this gives Moses and Aaron the courage not just to escape captivity, to get to safety and leave, but it gives them the strength and the power to face down evil for their own sake and for the sake of their fellow human beings. Now, often, people will say that you can be a good person without God. I have said that in the past, which is because it's true, actually. Or they might say it's about what you do and not about what you believe. And that's a favorite of a lot of United Church people, actually. One United Church person once told me that the real work is in the world and that worship is all just a show, a meaningless pageant, which it can be. Even in the Bible, God judges empty worship that's just going through the motions day after day, week after week. But it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be. If this God we're talking about is the same God we hear about, in the Exodus story. The ultimate end of worship is always being freed and being empowered to act for the good of the world God loves. That's why our tagline is inviting, inspiring, and investing in the way of Jesus Christ. Because it's all about the world God loves. Coming into a relationship with the divine, being freed and healed by good news, and reorienting our lives towards God is always for the purpose of God's mission to tear down Egypt, to demolish the kingdom of hell by empowering us to seek justice and resist evil. That's what the United Church's creed, new creed says, and we're going to say that 
later on in the service. And maybe some people can do that alone. But I can tell you that I cannot. I can't. I'm too selfish, personally, and too cowardly when I'm left to my own devices. But the moments that I've surprised myself have always been out of acts of faith. Acts of faith built on courage that is not my own. Speaking of courage, <laughs> hopefully we got you to the point of, you know, at, be, acting on behalf of the world God loves at this point. Ken took it really literally. He just, boom, there's a fire. I'm going to go deal with it. Anyway. <laughs> Worship's for us because God's mission is healing liberation. Healing liberation in the mission field is right outside these doors. And we need worship because we can't do it ourselves. At least I can't. We need God because Pharaoh's more than we can face on our own. We need God. We need worship to be empowered to join God in the world. And that's the fourth and final point. We need God because we need courage. So, friends, brothers and sisters, fellow captives in Egypt, worship is good news. It's good news because we need an encounter with transcendence. We need to hear and experience liberating good news. We need reorientation on the path that leads to life and makes us courageous bearers of love, justice, and mercy. So maybe once a week isn't too much to ask. So, in the words of our boasting friend, Bud Welch, I don't know what you come to do, But I come for all of the above. Not because God needs anything from me, but because I need God, and God has promised me everything I need. Everything we need, everything the world needs now until eternity. Because worship isn't for God, it's for us. And that, my friends, is good news. Amen.